0: This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. Did you know that olive oil is at its peak of flavor and nutrition right after it's fresh pressed at harvest time? That's why my favorite olive oil is delivered to me direct from the latest harvest, thanks to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And now you can try a bottle yourself, normally $39, for just $1, with no obligation to buy anything else. Visit MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. In my case, it truly is myfavoriteoliveoil.com MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I must say, that, uh, not that I don't look forward to doing uh, all my podcasts, but this is one I particularly look forward to doing because uh, it is about an area that I have found fascinating uh, over the past few years. It's the area of genomics. And uh, I believe that genomics has great potential uh, to impact Our practice of intelligent medicine. Uh, It can help to inform our choices about what to do for patients. Uh, And today we're going to talk to uh, an expert. Uh, She is Dr. Sharon Hausman Cohen. Uh, She is the, uh, if I have this correctly, uh, she is the founder of something called Intellix DNA. Intellix DNA is a service that clinicians use, clinicians like myself use to analyze patients' DNA results uh, and interpret those results. Because it's not enough to just, you know, get a lot of uh, information. Uh, it's uh, very, very bewildering when you look at your DNA. So interpretation is really where it's at. Uh, Dr. Sharon Hausman-Cohen is board certified in family medicine, uh, she, uh, is, uh, a, an educator. Uh, she's spoken, uh, to a wide variety of forums about uh, genetic testing. Uh, and, uh, Intellix DNA is her latest project to, uh, mainstream this very, very exciting technology. So we have a lot of questions, uh, to pose about that, and I'm sure, we're going to answer a lot of uh, your concerns. Sharon, it's a pleasure having you on uh, Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Ron.
0: And by the way, just uh, your training is uh, in family medicine, uh, some of it at uh, Harvard, correct?
1: Well, yes, um, I am a family physician, but before I was a family physician, I actually went to Harvard to do a PhD in medicine in cell and developmental biology and neuroendocrinology. I act I actually never finished my PhD. I stopped after my master's degree and then said I'd always go back to research later on. And this is my going back to it. I also did genetics research back in the late 80s and early 90s.
0: Right. But of interest is that uh, you have a very, very uh, integrative approach uh, to medicine. Yeah, you know, you're all about using medications where appropriate, but also about utilizing uh, nutritional supplements uh, and diet. Where they may play a role in improving patient outcomes, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So let, let's uh, start with some uh, definitions. Um, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what genomic testing is about. Uh, they have a feeling that it's, you know, it's kind of scary because, you know, we look at your genes, we look at what are called mutations, and mutations can be devastating because mutations can cause uh horrendous problems they can cause sick cause things like uh, sickle cell anemia they can cause cystic fibrosis um so uh how is uh, what you're doing with IntelliX dna uh, different than you know the kind of genetic testing where we might predict say a horrible birth defect
1: That's a great question. So we don't look at any of the disease-causing variants. Those are pathogenic um, is another word for it of disease-causing variants. Things like you said, cystic fibrosis, Tay-Sachs, sickle cell anemia. What we're looking at is more of slight changes in the DNA that contribute to chronic disease. So if you think about things like heart disease, diabetes, obesity, even Alzheimer's and cognitive impairment, there's not a gene that causes it, but it's the mixture of these little small changes in your DNA, maybe for the case of heart disease, things that contribute to hardening of the arteries, calcium buildup, inflammation, clot formation in the arteries, all of these factors and many, many more in combination that interact with diet and nutrition and lifestyle that cause chronic disease. So what Intellix DNA does is it helps to dissect some of these chronic illnesses down to some of their components on a genetic or a genomic level so that a doctor or other licensed healthcare practitioner can use your genomics for their clinical decision making in order to make a decision. What would be the best? Thing to kind of help you do, How, you know, what are the best supplements, nutrition, etc., and medications at times, so that you can help prevent these different chronic illnesses.
0: So, I, you know, I've been fascinated by this uh, for many, many uh, years, and uh, I, I've undertaken many uh, iterations of genetic tests. Uh, I've done Ancestry.com, uh, I've discovered that I'm like 99.999% Ashkenazic Jew, which is no big whip because I thought that that was the case, so that was not a big <laughs> surprise. There were there were no uh, skeletons in my closet uh, that I wasn't aware of. Uh, I also did 23andMe, and and they ran through a whole catalog of of you know devastating obscure medical conditions, and it turned out that you know I had no genes for them, which I kind of knew that you know I don't have any devastating uh, genetic diseases. Uh, they made some wrong predictions. They said that I was likely to become bald. Uh, that is not the case so far, so good. Uh, and, uh, they made some right predictions. They said that, you know, I'm probably, uh, sensitive to caffeine, which I am. Uh, but beyond that, I, I didn't really get a lot of meaningful inf- information. So how is Intellix DNA different from some of the direct to consumer tests that people can, can obtain these days? Uh, you know, just on the internet, you know, you can get a DNA kit and, you know, they'll tell you a bunch of stuff.
1: That's a great question. I think that if you look at what 23andMe um, and other direct-to-consumer products are doing, is their main focus has been Ancestry, as you pointed out, and they're giving little snippets of information regarding health um, and disease states. So they might tell you, you don't have these two variants that are known to be associated with Parkinson's. But the problem with that is it's a gross oversimplification because there are over 95 genes and 2,000 different SNPs associated with Parkinson's. So, knowing that you don't have those two gene variants is great, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really give you a lot of information because there's a lot, there, only 5% of Parkinson's is caused by those particular genes. Okay, so, and in, the, r- rest- in other words,
0: there, there might be a, a type of genetic Parkinson's disease, and if you don't have the genes for that, okay, fine, but it doesn't mean that you're not exempt from the 95%. Uh, of people who, without those genes, might end up with Parkinson's disease.
1: Correct. Because most chronic illnesses, again, things like Alzheimer's, heart disease, all these things, they're not about one gene. They're about the interaction between multiple genes and your environment. So with Alzheimer's, yes, there's the APOE4 gene, which you can get that information from 23andMe or one of the direct-to-consumer products. Um, But you can't necessarily accurately get the gene called APOE2 that lowers the risk Mm -hmm. um, by a significant amount or the different parts of the detox or mitochondrial pathways, which mitochondria make energy. Um, or inflama- inflammation or choline or all these other things. And so the purpose of IntelliX DNA and why it's different than direct-to-consumer is it's meant to be actionable, particularly when used by a physician or practitioner trained in integrative medicine. So we don't put anything in the report that is just kind of fluff. Gosh, it's nice to know that you have a increased risk of a unibrow. But we do put in the report that okay, you do have some clear evidence that there's some increased risk of heart disease, but this particular gene that causes calcification, you know, or that hardening of the arteries, it can be modified Mm -hmm. in the studies by vitamin K2. So I think that's what makes us unique is we're really actionable for the clinicians. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, why is it that you uh, have opted to make it only available through health practitioners? Because many of them are just... You know, you, you, you put some spit in a container and you send it off and they come back with this, uh, report, uh, without the intercession of a health practitioner.
1: Well, there's two reasons for that. One is while the, the do it yourself kind of era is here. And, you know, if you want to become a taxi driver, you can be part of Uber or Lyft. And if you want to become a hotel person, you know, the so-called go so a disruptive,
0: Airbnb. uh, economy. <laughs>
1: Right. But medicine really takes a lot of knowledge. In our tool, we're talking about things like converting thyroid hormone to the active form in the brain. We're talking about which blood pressure medicines or anesthesia or medicines like statins um, you're more or less likely to tolerate or even can have better or worse outcomes based on the literature. And then we're talking about complicated mechanisms of is your family risk of diabetes because of insulin resistance or that you don't release enough of certain hormones? Mm -hmm. Well, having a doctor that can interpret that and use their medical knowledge along with knowledge of nutrition and supplements is going to give you much, much better outcomes.
0: Mm -hmm. And I will attest to the fact that it is complicated. And uh, I've done these reports for patients and, uh, you know, often Uh, when a patient comes to visit me for a results visit, uh, you know, I can just, you know, open the chart five minutes before the patient comes in. I'll say, could you wait in the waiting room? And I'll just open the chart and say, you know, I can just run through the test results very quickly. I really have to spend a lot of time, uh, looking at the reports to analyze those reports. I kind of do a dress rehearsal for about an hour before each patient comes in at the very least. Uh, to go through the the wealth of detail that's provided in these uh, reports, it it's not easy on the clinician. I will I will say this up front. It's it's demanding, but I find it you know intellectually very very stimulating and, and exciting.
1: And I was going to say, there's one other reason that's really important. Um, we are what's called a clinical decision support tool, which means medical decisions are not made just on. We're not a laboratory test. You don't either. Say, oh, we have this gene, so you're going to get heart disease. Medical decision making has to take into fact patient's history, patient's family mm-hmm. history, what their labs are, and all those things. So that's the mm-hmm. other reason. So really, it's only um, something appropriate for licensed healthcare professionals.
0: So, so the other important question, and I think this is a question on the minds of you know some listeners who, who are contemplating undergoing genetic testing, is is it potentially scary? I mean, what if you have quote, bad genes, for example, you know, the APOE4 gene, which we can talk a little bit about, that's the that's the gene where if you have a single hit, it's estimated you may have a, you know, three to six times uh, greater likelihood of developing Alzheimer's. If you have a double hit, oh my goodness, the, the, the likelihood goes up to 20-fold uh, that you might have premature dementia. So, so is it, I mean, could it be scary to undertake a test like this?
1: Well, I think that you need to do it with somebody who can give you appropriate advice. But all of these different risk factors, all these different genes, and the gene variants because, of course, it's the variations in the genes, kind of like a little change in a recipe. They're all modifiable. We don't put anything in the IntelliX standard reports that is pathogenic. So we don't put something that says, if you have this gene, you're going to get frontal temporal lobe dementia. Because again, most chronic disease is a combination. And instead of being scary, it is meant to be empowering. Mm-hmm. So first of all, some ApoE4s only have a 1.7 increased risk Mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's, which is really not very high at all. There are many people who have ApoE 3.3, and ApoE is, as you pointed out, the gene that a lot of people call the Alzheimer's gene because 80% of people or 75% of people who get Alzheimer's before age 70 tend to have it. But there's a lot of those ApoE4s who, first of all, are not at high risk because of their combination. But for the ones who are, the reason to find out is when you know what you have ApoE4 in combination with, you can not only frequently prevent cognitive decline, but reverse it. And we have been using Intellix DNA. Um, Similarly, um, I worked with Dr. Bredesen in terms of uh, at his first training. I did some teaching there, but have showed him what we're doing. We're collaborating on uh, some studies and we have designed this to be supportive. And um, for people who don't know Dr. Bredesen, he's Mm -hmm. the physician who wrote The End of Alzheimer's. And So that we can use someone's genomics to go, okay, for this person, giving them more choline is going to be really important. For this person, more B12 is going to be more important. For this person, giving them things that help mitochondria, which is kind of like your backup energy supply. So if you know what's going on, you can address it. And that's very empowering. And I have a large number of Mm ApoE44s that still test in perfect cognition in their 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's wonderful. And so it's really about guiding them, how can you eat right? How can you exercise right? What supplements can you take? And very rarely medications to kind of keep everything working.
0: Indeed. And in fact, I think the exciting thing on the APOE4 front is that uh, we used to think it was the crack of doom. Uh, Now there are studies that suggest that uh, APOE4s are very, very amenable uh, to lifestyle changes. So, you know, one of the most recent studies didn't even look at these very targeted nutritional interventions, you know, such as right. using, uh, you know, antioxidants and sulforaphane and, uh, you know, methylating B vitamins uh, and uh, looked at simple lifestyle interventions like adequate sleep, uh, abstaining from smoking, uh, moderate alcohol consumption, exercise, and a Mediterranean diet, and you know the Mediterranean diet wasn't even like a ketogenic diet. It wasn't highly demanding. It was just a, you know, absence of of junk, and it actually had a profound impact on the expression of the genes. So, we really can say that genes are not your fate. Uh, they may indicate Achilles' heels or susceptibilities uh, that then can be addressed with corrective action.
1: Absolutely. We always say your DNA is not your destiny, it's your history. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And, uh, and, and of interest is, you know, this is a test, this is a one off test, by the way. This is not a test where like, oh, check my DNA now. I've been, uh, you know, on a better diet. No, it's that, it's a one off because that's your, your DNA. Uh, we're not talking here so much about uh, gene expression. We're talking about, uh, your actual, uh, gene coding. Uh, where it can be checked. And it's checked via not a blood test, it's a saliva test. It's simply spit in a container and send it to the lab, correct?
1: Correct. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole gene expression because we were just having a conversation over genomics. One of my clinicians was asking me about how I felt about metabolomics, which is checking some of the actual metabolites, the enzyme and vitamin levels in the blood, um, versus... um, using genomics and what i told them is i said you know metabolomics speak checking for the actual enzyme levels or vitamin levels or even the rna production in the blood is great if you're looking for something expressed in the blood but the reason that genomics is i think here to stay and so important is many of the tissues you can't get at with blood so when you're talking about osteoporosis The vitamin D receptors and the different genes that relate to osteoporosis are expressed differently in the bone than they are in the blood. When you're talking about cognition, the different TNF-alpha, which is a big inflammatory factor that can be a big deal, or the mitochondrial channels in the brain, or even the carriers that carry certain vitamins into the brain, the whole point is... Things in the brain and in the mitochondria have different tissue expression, and you can't do a bo- you know a bone biopsy or a brain biopsy. So genomics, when we study these well-studied variants, can give us an idea of, as you say, the Achilles' heels that need to be addressed with a simple saliva test. And so nutrigenomics um, and gen- medical genomics are going to get at things different than looking at the proteins or the metabolites in the blood.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh- of interest is, I think vitamin D is a great example of how uh, genomics can actually translate to nutrigenomics. Nutrigenomics means uh, the science of discovering uh, the impact of nutrients uh, on our genetic expression. And it, so, talk a little bit about the vitamin D receptor. You know, we're running around these days, we're checking everybody's blood for levels of vitamin D. That, again, is the endpoint. Uh, But there's something called a vitamin D receptor, and there's genetic coding for it. And that suggests that some people have, you know, just like some people are insulin resistant, some people are vitamin D resistant in certain ways. Is, Is that a correct analogy?
1: That's a great analogy, yes. So when we're checking somebody's blood levels of vitamin D, that actually does not relate to the VDR gene. A lot of people go, oh, they look at their 23andMe, oh, my VDR is the, is not good, so I must have problems with carrying vitamin D in my blood, but then their vitamin D level is okay, and that's a whole completely different gene. What the vitamin D receptors are is inside the different tissue, inside your kidneys, inside your immune system, inside your bones, there's these intranuclear, so the inside of the cells, receptors that react with vitamin D that turn on and off a whole bunch like a thousand other genes throughout your body and a lot of the vitamin d receptors are involved in turning off different pathways and so if you have underactive vitamin d receptors you can have problems turning off different things so for example one of the vitamin D receptor variants, the VDRs, can make people taller than average because they can't turn off that bone growth. Mm. Another one, though, can contribute to autoimmune risk because mm. it's turning off that immunity. And other ones contribute to osteoporosis because it has to do with the metabolism of calcium and potassium. And and so um, when we know what different people have going on, On these VDRs or any of these different metabolism-related pathways, we can then say, oh, we know that resveratrol, which comes from red grapes, can upregulate something called sirtuins, which can upregulate these VDRs. Or we know that giving them a little extra vitamin D might help in certain cases. So that's why it's so useful is we can kind of then work backwards and look at the studies and when you're looking at the studies, we can then say, yes, we know that this one makes it so you over-release potassium. I'm sorry, you over-excrete cal- calcium in the urine, and you can then give more potassium. And when you have targeted interventions, you're going to do better.
0: What about clues to uh, autoimmunity? Uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the uh, genetic SNPs that uh, is tested for in the IntelliX DNA panel. Uh, is something looking at uh, HLA types. Uh, HLA types have something to do with autoimmunity, uh, and uh, that's included on the panel. And I've noticed that many of our patients who have autoimmunity, uh, they have HLA types that suggest that they may be prone to celiac disease, even though they don't have active celiac disease. They may have uh, uh, non-celiac-mediated autoimmunity, and thus uh, elimination of of gluten might be desirable for them, even if they don't have a, a positive biopsy.
1: Right. So the HLA types you're talking about, there's a couple of different ones, but there's one type that makes it so that basically you hold on and present gluten and the different proteins in gluten more strongly to your immune system. Well, that response, along with gluten, can cause what people call a leaky gut. There are other Variants or SNPs, and I don't think we ever defined a SNP for your, the listeners. But a SNP is a single nucleotide polymorphism, so it's kind it's of like a, a one letter. to
0: G- a mutation, I think we want to contrast that to a mutation, which is a real mixed up uh, missense DNA. This is a normal; these are normal variants, but they're just uh, less common, and they could be associated with problems.
1: Right. And so people um, with that HLA type, they can, um, it can lead to more leaky gut along with there's some other variants in the pathways that we look at for autoimmunity that can affect Again, how you turn off inflammation and the immune response and something called zonulin. And so when you have this combination, the way we use it, for example, I had a gentleman and he's an architect and he was having a lot of um, cognitive impairment. He was still able to function as an architect, but he was a bright guy and knew that things weren't quite right. And for him, when we realized that he had 15 times the average risk of gluten intolerance and had him eliminate gluten from his diet, that was a big step in improving his cognition. Mm -hmm. Um, People will have fatigue as a symptom. And so we tell people that are at the highest risk. So people who have a seven times higher risk of celiac, even if they don't have celiac, they owe a six-week trial Mm -hmm. of going off gluten to themselves because it might make them feel better. Um, Their joints may hurt less. But it also works the other way. People who come into us and they're like, not feeling well with fatigue and irritable bowel, and they have not only no genes that increase their risk for gluten intolerance, but ones that decrease at 50%, Mm -hmm. because we look at both risk and benefit, then we're saying, we have to look for other causes. This is not what's Mm -hmm. causing your... Your symptoms. Mm -hmm.
0: And it it allows a little more precision in terms of where we go with, especially patients with uh, vague and challenging symptoms. Okay, we're going to pause at this point because we divide our podcast into two parts. We've got a lot more questions to ask of uh, today's guest. She's Sharon Hausman-Cohen, who is uh, involved with uh, Intellix DNA testing. Uh, She is the medical director uh, and developer of Intellix DNA. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.